Hello, I'm Rachel Cassandra, and welcome to Midday Magazine for Wednesday, November 30th. A man remains missing after a fishing vessel ran aground near Point Baker on Prince of Wales Island Sunday afternoon. That's according to Alaska Wildlife Troopers. The boat was the Randy Joe. There were two adults on the boat, a man and a woman. Both were able to escape the boat and get into a skiff and make it to a small rock island. Then both the boat and skiff were lost. The woman spent 24 hours on the rock island with her dog before a good Samaritan vessel picked her up. Troopers say she declined medical evaluation. The man, 27-year-old Arnie Dahl of Point Baker, is still missing. He tried to swim to the next island on Sunday and was not seen again. The U.S. Coast Guard and Wrangell Search and Rescue searched the area for multiple hours to find him but couldn't. According to troopers, the active search and rescue ended yesterday. If new information emerges, the state troopers and Coast Guard may restart a search and rescue. And this is a developing story and KFSK will continue to air updates as they emerge. Stedman Elementary School in Petersburg has temporarily canceled its after-school recess program Monday through Thursday. The school is having trouble staffing the program because of cold and flu season. What happens is when one person is sick, it trickles down to other people, and we just don't have enough people to cover after-school duties. That's Heather Kahn, principal of the school. The after-school recess program was running on Monday through Friday for kids in the first through fifth grades. Kindergartners joined only on Fridays. Kids would have an after-school snack in the cafeteria for 15 minutes. Then there was 45 minutes of recess. Altogether, the program extended pickup time for families one hour from 2.45 to 3.45. Nicole Olson is a new school board member. She and her husband have two boys in the school. They're in the second and fifth grades. Both my husband and I work full-time and then some. Uh, we've utilized the program since it started. It was one of those good things that came out of COVID times that we were thrilled to see stick around. Olson says their family schedule will be disrupted, and her husband will have to end his workday early when he can. We're going to miss an extra hour of supervised time for the kids. I know an hour might not seem like much, but to a working parent, it's a lot. And the trickle-down effect of that, not only for us, but I'm sure many other parents, is big. Petersburg has a child care access crisis, so many families may be making do already and juggling caregiver schedules. Khan says that the school is solidly staffed, but that cold and flu season is really rough. She says her day starts at 5 in the morning when people start calling in sick. They have a limited substitute teacher pool, which is mostly made up of retired teachers. And some of those retired teachers leave town for long periods during the winter. Khan says flu and cold season sometimes knocks teachers out in waves. So today, for an example, we have two teachers out in the elementary school and one para out in the elementary school. But over in the high school, I believe there are about four teachers out over there today with two paras. That's a huge loss to our district, which means that we will have to shut down programs. And Khan says that when they have to pick and choose between programs, everything during the school day gets priority. Anything that's outside of the normal school day, if we can get it covered, that would be great. If not, um, we, we can't die on that hill. 
Snack time will still be available to students who stay in the cafeteria right after school. Carly Johnson McIntosh is the director of the school's food program. She says kids have to stay at school for that snack, but it will still be available for everyone. Based on federal regulations, the school offers milk, a whole grain, lean meat, fruit, and a vegetable. For now, the after-school recess program for K through fifth graders will only be available on Fridays. The school will reassess whether they can restart the program at the end of February. Khan is hoping that cold and flu season will subside by then. In Petersburg, I'm Rachel Cassandra. A young climate activist born and raised in Ketchikan was one of two Alaskans named to Forbes 30 Under 30 list this year. KRBD's Reagan Miller caught up with Kara O'Brien about growing up, how growing up in Alaska inspired her to pursue a career focused on fighting climate change. Kara O'Brien has some advice for other young Alaskans looking to make a difference in their communities. Find something you're passionate about and go for it. O'Brien is a 24-year-old Harvard graduate and climate advocate. Her passion for clean energy landed her a spot on Forbes' 30 Under 30 energy list this year. Climate and clean energy are near and dear to my heart, and um, I'm very excited to see the energy list for Forbes turning towards clean energy in the way that it has. She says her childhood in Ketchikan led her to where she is today, working for a green energy developer called Total Energies as a public policy representative. My, my childhood in Ketchikan really really shaped what I'm doing today. Um, and uh, Alaska is ground zero for climate change. So clean energy is the future for Alaska. Her job means she works in Washington, D.C., keeping an eye on federal offshore wind and solar policy. So I monitor federal public policy. So anything that's happening on the Hill, uh, happening in the White House, that's of interest to us. Um, and then I bring the findings back to the company and try to deduce what exactly that means for our business um, and our investment decisions. She started two climate-focused nonprofits and worked on the federal auctions that won her company two major offshore wind farm leases worth nearly a billion dollars. My field is quite niche, uh, offshore wind especially um, in the U.S. It's not O'Brien's first time making one of these lists. She made a different 30 under 30 list in 2020. Um, I was on one a couple years ago, um, Green Biz. It's a very similar kind of thing. Um, uh, it's it's just specific to climate and clean energy, though. But before Forbes and before Harvard, O'Brien was a student at Ketchikan High School. I was captain of the varsity swim team while I was there. Um, I was a class act mentor. Uh, I was in the band program, a handful of other things. She also was a summer intern for Senator Dan Sullivan in 2016, the same year she graduated from Ketchikan High School. She went back to work for him in 2021 as a correspondence manager. At Harvard, O'Brien was the president emerita of the Young Republicans Club. She also founded the Young Conservatives for Carbon Dividends Club. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Reagan Miller. One year ago, Interior Secretary Deb Haaland issued a declaration to remove a slur against indigenous women from place names on federal lands. Nearly 650 new names were finalized this fall, including one for a Dillingham Creek that bore the slur. But as KDLG's Izzy Ross reports, three elementary students in Dillingham had been pushing to change the creek's name long before the federal government started its process. Alora Wassily, Trista Wassily, and Harmony Larson have worked to change the creek's name since 2021. That finally happened in September. In an interview shortly after the announcement, Alora said they had put a lot of effort into reaching that goal. 
It feels good because we worked on it for so long and it finally got changed and we just feel relieved. We felt accomplished. They began advocating for the change when they were in fifth grade, after they had heard a local story about seven sisters who had lived along the creek, and how both the creek and a road of the same name were marked with the derogatory word. And then we thought about it, and then we decided to change it, and then we talked to our teacher, Miss Jensen, when we were in fifth grade, and then we talked with Courtney Cardi and Robin, and then we just started researching about other places, and then we started working on a presentation. Now they're in seventh grade. The students have presented their research many times. They started with the Dillingham Parent Advisory Committee and the school board. We were all really nervous our first time, and then after a while we got used to it, and we just got normal about it. Since then, they have brought their research to the Chorion Tribal Council, the First Alaskans Institute, Elders and Youth Conference, and the Bristol Bay Native Corporation. Robin Cheney helped the students prepare. She's the federal programs coordinator for Dillingham City Schools and has been an adult advisor for the students. Them standing behind their information was really powerful. They were part of educating people here, including myself. They received mostly positive feedback and support and really their confidence grew because their facts were accurate and it was an issue that obviously was became really important, not just to us, but on a federal level that Secretary Holland would take that up. When U.S. Interior Secretary Deb Holland announced last year that the word would be removed from geographic features across the country, the students' work got more attention. And they had to shift their approach, taking their grassroots advocacy and fitting it into a political process. Our process went from slow and steady to very, very rapid. And so it shifted from us educating and garnering local support for change to a government-to-government relationship following a tribal process and doing tribal consultation between our local Chilhuang tribe um, and the federal government. The students recommended renaming the creek Ala Creek and they received broad support from the community during a listening session last spring. But at the last minute, a Chorion tribal council member suggested a different name, Amal Creek. Cheney said that was difficult. It was just a hard pill to swallow because it, that name hadn't gone through the public process. It was in their regular meeting, but it wasn't a name that had been carried forward in the public process that they set forth. It was surprising and upsetting, but they still achieved the goal, which was to remove a derogatory place name and replace it with a traditional name, a Yuchtu name that has positive connotations for a woman. And that happened. The students are the latest in a long legacy of work to recenter native place names in Bristol Bay. Francisca Damaski is the land manager for the Bristol Bay Native Corporation. <laughs> Hi, my name is Francisca Dimaski. I am from Togak, but live here in Anchorage. She oversees the Land Department's cultural heritage efforts, including the Bristol Bay Native Place Names Project. She says it's one of the ways the corporation celebrates and preserves that heritage. Amal Creek translates to great-grandparent and is a Yuchtun word. And in this case, it references a group of sisters 
or great-grandmothers who, according to traditional stories, traveled to the area and settled near the creek. So the community recognized the role of the great-grandmothers in their families and chose the name to honor their ancestors. Demosky says the Native Corporation supports the federal efforts to change the derogatory names of places across the country, including in Dillingham. BBMC is pleased with the outcome, and I applaud the young students for taking leadership in making this change happen for their community. The students' work isn't over. They are now focused on the next steps to change the community's signs and replace them with the new name, Amao Creek. In Dillingham, I'm Izzy Ross. The state has designated King Salmon as a stock of concern in one of Bristol Bay's commercial fishing districts. Next week, the Board of Fish will decide on a plan to protect and restore the run. That could mean big changes for the fishery. KDLG's Izzy Ross reports. In recent years, the Nushigak has been one of the most prolific districts in the largest wild salmon fishery in the world. But the Nushigak River's king run has been low for years, even as sockeye runs have hit record highs. In October, the State Department of Fish and Game recommended that the Board of Fish designate Nushigak king salmon as a stock of concern. At a work session last month, the Board of Fish agreed. Tim Sands is Fish and Game's Westside area biologist. We're acknowledging that we've had this goal, this 95,000 in-river goal, and we've failed to meet it five of the last six years. And that's triggering this stock of concern status. The determination came just weeks before the State Board of Fish meeting for Bristol Bay. That meeting happens every three years and is a time for stakeholders to propose changes to fisheries regulations. Before that meeting, the department must create an action plan to protect Nushigak king salmon and bring the population back up. Normally, Sands says, the department would have evaluated the run over the winter and made a stock of concern recommendation months earlier. That would have given them more time to create an action plan. But they waited until after the summer season to see how large the king run would be. Going into the season, if we'd made the escapement goal, we probably wouldn't have gone to the stock of concern. But since we didn't make the escapement goal, it was after the season that we made the decision that we needed to recommend stock of concern status. So we have a much shorter timeline. Last summer, Fish and Game changed its counting method at the Nushigak sonar to get more accurate counts of kings and chum, which the department said it was underestimating. But those runs were still some of the lowest of the past two decades. For years, managers have delayed opening the Nushigak's commercial sockeye fishery in an effort to let more kings swim past the fleet and up the river. Sand says designating kings as a stock of concern gives the department more regulatory tools to try to address the stock's decline. One of the tools that will be proposed in this action plan is the idea that the Wood River Special Harvest Area could be used to protect king salmon. Currently, the Wood River Special Harvest Area can be used to protect Nushigak River sockeye salmon, and it can be used to protect Nushigak River coho salmon. But it cannot be used under current regulation to protect Nushigak River king salmon. The public can weigh in on the department's action plan at the upcoming Board of Fish meeting. The department is going to come up with several different options as far as tools go, and then the board is going to select some or all of those tools 
based on input they receive from the department and from stakeholders. The draft action plan will be available on the Fish and Game website this week. The Bristol Bay meeting begins on Tuesday. In Dillingham, I'm Izzy Ross.